0: Even as a major hurricane bears down on the southeastern U.S., questions about harvest conditions and the coming winter remain top of mind. How to watch the forecast as 2022 draws to a close? That's today on Field Posts. DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. As farmers across the country get into the thick of harvest, a late-season hurricane, Ian, slams into the southeast, threatening to disrupt work across the Carolinas, Georgia, even up into Virginia and over into Kentucky and Tennessee. Otherwise, however, a relatively dry forecast offers a mix of benefits A positive outlook for getting through harvest quickly, but no relief for devastating dryness in many areas. Today, team lead for ag weather John Brannick will help us understand these latest harvest weather forecasts, as well as offering us a look ahead at the winter months. We'll talk about the global situation in Latin America and Europe, the lingering impacts of the La Nina system, and where soil moisture might be as we look to planting in the coming year. We'll tackle weak conditions, winter precipitation, and the drought outlook in Nebraska right after these words from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by MyDTN. In today's environment, it's essential more than ever to get the most current and accurate information to help save your valuable resources and continue to be profitable. Get access to all the information you need to deal with this change from DTN. As the leading independent trusted source of actionable insights and market information, MyDTN gives you accurate weather forecasts, the most extensive database of grain bids, and the most timely news and analysis from our award-winning news team. These features and more are available 24-7 via desktop, laptop, and any mobile device to be with you on the go. Learn more at MyDTN.com and start a free 14-day trial. Now, back to the show. Team lead for ag weather, John Branick, joins us today to dig into the latest ag relevant weather forecasts. John, we have to start with the kind of breaking-ish news of the day. There's a hurricane, already made landfall fall in Florida, Ex- expectations that it's going to have impacts, so not just along the coast and in kind of the southern part of Florida, but maybe all up and down the east coast. Give us kind of the overview of what we should be paying attention to right now and what you think the lingering impacts over the next couple of weeks might be.
1: Yeah, so it's making landfall in the west coast of Florida here, just on the cusp of Category 5. So it's sitting at sustained winds at 155 miles an hour. Category 5 is 156, so it's right on the cusp of being a Category 5. Whether or not it is or not doesn't really matter. We have all kinds of damage going on there across Florida. Winds, storm surge, and really the biggest thing, as we talk about agriculturally, is the rains and the flooding that are coming along with it. We've already had four to six inches of rain over South Florida as it started to come in and approach. As it's going through Florida, we're expecting amounts over a foot. And then it's going to kind of move across the peninsula here over the next couple of days. By Friday, it'll get actually back out into the Atlantic for a little bit. So it'll maintain tropical storm strength, but then go back into the Carolinas or eastern Georgia For Friday and Saturday into the weekend, really it's the flooding rains with this now that are going to be the biggest concern going forward, especially for those folks that still have yet to harvest from Georgia into the Carolinas, up through Virginia, even parts of eastern Tennessee and Kentucky will have some issues there with some heavier rains. This is going to be a long lasting event. Just started really Monday with some rain across South Florida, but we're not going to see it leave the southeastern states until early next week, Monday or Tuesday. So that's a really long event for us here in the U.S. And for those still yet to harvest, it could be difficult. Lots of flooding going on. Four to six inches of rain are likely across those Carolinas and Virginia areas. If you got to go out and harvest, uh, if you can't get out as soon as possible, I would suggest doing it.
0: I think obviously the other kind of top of mind thing for folks all over the country right now is just what are the conditions as we look to harvest? It's been a challenging weather year for a lot of folks in a lot of different parts of the country, but yeah, as you are looking ahead to the next couple of weeks through maybe October and into November, what are you seeing as the trends that people might expect to see?
1: We've had a lot of heat, a lot of dry conditions over the course of the year. And that looks like it's going to continue through the fall here. Overall, that means pretty good harvest conditions, honestly. If you get some above normal temperatures to dry out the crop a little bit better, less rainfall so we don't have to deal with too much sogginess. Overall, that's going to be pretty good. But, you know, it is a fall. And so we do have a change in the seasons coming up. And it brings a lot of variable conditions. Every time we go through fall, it's no surprise. So we should see regular cold fronts move through with some cold conditions. We actually had that here this week across the Midwest. Got our first frost here Tuesday morning across the upper Midwest. We got another day of that here Wednesday morning, a little bit farther east towards the Great Lakes. But, you know, outside of the couple of frosts here, building back warmer temperatures in over the next couple of weeks. And the rainfall amounts are going to be Pretty light. We don't have a whole lot coming, but there's a little system that's going to try to move out into the plains here late this week and into the weekend. It's mostly going to get stuck in the Rockies, though. So the high plains will get some, Montana, eastern Wyoming, maybe eastern Colorado, but into the Dakotas or Nebraska, we're not seeing a whole lot of rainfall. It's going to stick around, though, for several days. It's going to be held up by actually by Ian down there in the southeast. That's going to hold up the pattern a bit before it starts moving its way eastward here mid to late next week. And so we may see some showers over the Western Corn Belt. I wouldn't say anything there is going to be too hazardous or too impactful for the continued harvest, but yeah, maybe a little bit of rain in, in some areas. And then there might be a couple of isolated areas that get some moderate showers. If you add up several days worth of hits, there's going to be a couple of areas like that that might end up with some moderate amounts, say around a half inch, maybe an inch. So that's what we're looking at for the next couple of weeks. Through October, though, and really through November, I don't really see a whole lot that would change that outside of one of these freak tropical storms, hurricanes moving back through that would potentially go up the, the Mississippi River. Now, nothing is looking like that on the board right now, but you know something could pop up here at any time. So we'll keep our eyes on that. But for the most part here, harvest conditions look pretty good.
0: I'm curious whether that picture gets more complicated when you look at a, a little bit more of a regional scale. Any concerns as you look maybe Eastern Corn Belt, at the high states or when you look a little bit further west, is it pretty consistent all across the border? Are there any regional kind of concerns that you have?
1: Honestly, there isn't really. Maybe if folks need to wait until November, maybe up in the Dakotas, Minnesota area, we start to see a little bit more precipitation, but I think that might even be closer to the December timeframe. So October through early November, I think, honestly, most places, I don't see any issues in terms of harvest going on, again, outside of something freakish like a hurricane.
0: Always exciting to get some news because it has been a year Of not so great news i think in a lot of places i think you got to spend some time out in the fields in iowa nebraska a little bit earlier this month i wonder if you could talk a little bit about the conditions folks are seeing there and how as you look ahead to maybe the uh, beyond harvest weather looking into the winter months are you seeing the change in the pattern that has been pretty i'm gonna say pretty droughty but also just inconsistent
1: yeah. Inconsistent is probably the best term for that. And that just honestly just leads to drought as when you get the inconsistent rainfall patterns across the country. Yeah, you're right. I got out to a couple of farm shows in Iowa Nebraska, Husker Harvest Days and the Farm Progress Show there in Iowa. And I got to talk to a lot of folks from the area and these areas just uh, inconsistent was the biggest theme there in Iowa. Some folks in the, that, like the Northeastern parts of the state were feeling pretty good about theirs and They didn't really want to tell folks that were coming from the southern parts of the state where they weren't getting such great weather over the course of the growing season. Out in Nebraska was pretty much drought for everybody, but a lot of folks, it was really interesting to talk to, see how that, and I'm really amazed at the resilience of farmers to get through all that. I don't think I have the kind of mental fortitude that it would take to get through some of these drought conditions. And people were talking about pulling yields of 20 or 30 on their corn and 10 on their soybeans. So it was like, oh man, I don't know how you do that. And so it's just really amazing to talk to those folks and just see how they can really push through that kind of thing. Hopefully we got some better news for them for next year. Soil moisture is really a big issue, obviously, with drought. And it's kind of been growing over the eastern Corn Belt too. Dryness across a lot of the areas typical of fall, but usually we see some soil moisture recharge during the course of the fall season. But with our forecast of mostly dry, we're probably not going to see a whole lot of that in too many places, maybe in the Great Lakes stays okay. But for most of the country here, uh, I don't really see a whole lot of soil recharge going on for the fall season. It gets a little bit interesting once we get to winter because La Nina is going to be in place here all the way into at least January. But models are really pulling away from that here as we get to the end of winter and into early spring. You know, that's going to mean some big changes for us. You know, this is the third straight winter that we'll be going into La Nina conditions. And we've all been accustomed to what it brings, especially out in the plains, very warm and very dry. And a lot of variation across the rest of the country. Next year might be a little bit different from that, but we should still have the remnants of La Nina going on through the winter months. Usually what that means for us here, across the corn belt in particular is clippers so we'll get systems forming over the canadian prairies they'll dive down across the north central us into the great lakes and then hook back up into eastern canada doesn't mean a whole lot of precipitation for a lot of us across the south and up towards like the dakotas minnesota up through the great lakes it's variable precipitation so clippers usually don't have a whole lot of precipitation with them but if you get several of them in a row that'll lead to some areas that overlap Quite a bit and uh, they'll end up with some decent precipitation other areas though are left wanting so again through the winter months i don't see a huge increase potential for soil recharge for the spring so i think we're going to be dealing with a lot of dry soils going into spring planting season next year
0: i want to come back and dive a little bit more into the winter and the year ahead but i want to pause and talk a little bit about you, you mentioned nebraska and the tough conditions there i think kansas has had a somewhat similar experience. Talk a little bit about the wheat conditions as we get into the winter and what's happening in the Southern Plains right now.
1: Boy, it's rough. We've been dealing with drought here for at least the last 12 months from Nebraska all the way down to Texas, and it's been in and out of other places here west of the Mississippi River, really. But yeah, really those hard red winter wheat areas got crushed by drought, Starting last fall, it was hard to plant. We didn't get a whole lot of precipitation in the spring. We had rough conditions, very hot during the early summer. So it really burnt up a lot of the wheat plants out there. So they had a rough go at it. This planting season now, again, we're still in drought. We're not getting a whole lot of precipitation events. We saw a little bit going on across Kansas and southern Nebraska last week. But as far as Oklahoma and Texas are concerned, we didn't see a whole lot down there. And we don't see a whole lot going forward, as I mentioned. So it's still rough. Establishment is rough. As long as you're irrigating, you got something for it. But we need a lot of natural rainfall in this area. We're just not seeing it coming up. That doesn't mean we're going to be completely dry. We'll always see some precipitation, but the amounts are just probably not going to be there for a good start to the winter season. And like I mentioned, La Nina really leads to dryness there across the southwestern plains all through the winter. So I'm not real optimistic about how the crop will look going into springtime. So uh, that's a rough area. But honestly, soft red winter wheat areas from the Northern Delta into the Midwest have seen some drying conditions as well. So the wheat crop there that's going into the ground isn't going into the ground in very good conditions. I mentioned some of the frosts that probably didn't have much of an impact yet for wheat. If we do see a couple of those frosts, we could hold some of the root growth over the fall season as well. Again, I mentioned it's mostly above normal temperatures, but that doesn't mean we can't get some of those colder events moving through. And with lack of moisture we're looking at, say one of those tropical systems, again, the soft red winter wheat could be in, in, in a rougher shape as well going into the winter season.
0: I'm curious, as you look to other growing regions in the world, I'm curious what kind of weather picture you see shaping up elsewhere. And as you look at conditions in the U.S., are you seeing changing conditions in weather elsewhere that might maybe take some of the pressure off stocks and supplies. I'm thinking in particular being in such a tight situation, any relief on the weather side coming for that?
1: Well, if you're happy about it, Brazil's getting some pretty good rainfall and really good weather conditions to start out their spring planting season. Obviously we're getting into fall. on The other side of the globe, it's their springtime. So they're planting corn and soybeans there in Brazil and corn in Argentina should be coming up as well. But starting with Brazil, they've actually had a, a a pretty good last several weeks actually over the winter southern Brazil has been doing really well with rainfall We've had fronts moving up and stalling over there and really built up some pretty good soil moisture over the last couple of weeks those fronts have been penetrating a little bit further into central Brazil and so right as their wet season is supposed to start it looks like it has and they're getting plenty of rainfall here this week as well so everything's going right for everybody in brazil argentina is kind of the flip side of that unfortunately for them they've been getting a lot more colder shots over the winter time and early this spring they haven't had the precipitation those fronts that have been coming through have been very dry until they get into brazil so they've been very dry we've heard about a bunch of damage and abandonment issues for wheat in argentina already and with soils being so dry they're not really planting very rapidly here for corn in argentina Now, in Argentina, if folks aren't aware, there's kind of two phases of corn planting. One's early, that's in September into mid-October. And the second phase doesn't happen until December and January. So what a lot of folks are going to do is they're probably going to abandon planting early here in the first phase and switch to second phase or plant over to soybeans. Usually that's done from October into November. They might be doing one of two of those. Planting right now is going to be pretty difficult in Argentina.
0: As we look to the winter, I think top of mind for people we've talked a bunch on the podcast about the limited energy supplies and the risk of cold weather, both in the US and what that might mean, or the risk of a wet harvest and what that might mean for propane demand, what the risk for a cold early winter in Europe might be in terms of fertilizer prices. As you look to the winter coming to the Northern Hemisphere soon what do you see as far as coldness
1: speaking on the u.s first i mentioned that the fall looks like it's probably going to be nice and warm so that's going to help us and for it being dry too i don't think there's gonna be a whole lot of people out there needing propane to dry their beans or corn so i think overall we're set up here in pretty decent shape as far as the winter goes once we get into that la nina pattern Might start in December, but more likely in January and February, and we'll see those bursts of cold moving through the middle of the country. That'll that'll bring propane prices probably up here in the middle of the country a bit, but fortunately, it looks like most of the East Coast should stay on the warmer side, and with that being the more populated area. The South too, from Texas all the way to Florida, should be on the warmer side as well for most of the winter. Our big population area should stay warm, meaning we should need less propane or fuel oil energy through the winter months. I think that's going to bode well for us here in the U.S. That doesn't mean we're not going to have these big bursts of cold that move through. We talk about these polar vortex events. Even in La Nina years, we can get a nice big burst of cold through the South. We obviously saw that in February of 2021 across Texas, where everything froze up and they had big issues with that. Can't completely throw that out the window as an event like that happening again here this year. But for the most part, our populated areas should stay mostly warm. We go across the pond, and I know a lot of attention is being paid on Europe, rightly so, because their energy situation is very tight. And, you know, I've We've heard from analysts and everything about Russia putting the snips on the energy across Europe here. So their weather pattern is going to be very important. And really what we're looking at, fortunately for them, if we can call it fortunate, is that I don't think we see too much in terms of heating demand there as well. So for the most part, we should see warmer conditions. Now, I think that favors the eastern half of the continent more than the western half. You know, germany and france are big users of energy from russia so if they get a little bit on the cooler side especially in some bursts there's some cool wa- cold waves moving through that could spike demand and prices for a bit i don't know about how long that lasts though because really across the eastern half of the continent and in, into russia and into the middle east things are looking rather warm so i think the energy demands are probably going to be lower than normal for a typical winter And hopefully that is true because as you mentioned, supplies are pretty tight, just on about on everything and energy is definitely one of those as
0: well. I want to talk a little bit more about the La Nina that you've talked about a bit already. You mentioned that this will be our third year going into the winter with La Nina conditions, a chance it sounds like at the end of the winter that we might be getting out of those. I think the expectation is you go out of a La Nina into an El Nino, but there's actually like you can go out of a La Nina and into just a neutral situation. There was a sense that we are moving in a more kind of consistent rotation between La Nina and El Nino years. And it seems like we've gotten out of that trend. And what can we expect maybe in the later part as we move towards the end of the winter into plant 2023?
1: Yeah. So it seems odd, right? Going three straight years of La Nina, that doesn't seem like it should happen. But we look back in time and our records aren't very long. We've only been keeping track of it through sea surface temperatures. Once we've had satellites up, and that was in the 70s. So we have 50 years of hard data to look at. If we look back to the late 90s and early 2000s, we actually had three straight La Ninas. And uh, we also had it back in the mid-70s. And through other forms of research, it looks like we probably had it in the mid-50s as well. So it seems to be on a cycle of every 20 to 25 years where we get three straight La Ninas. So it's not completely unheard of. This is the fourth time since we've been keeping track of it because it's a relatively newish phenomenon. And weather research has been something that's evolving rapidly over the course of the last hundred years. And we learn more and more every year. It takes time to really build up where we can see these patterns evolving and everything. And the whole El Nino thing, once we finally started to really understand it here and get some hard data from the seventies, we've only got about 50 years of it. So it's not a long record, but you're right. Usually What we have seen is we'll go into a La Nina, we'll come up to neutral or maybe go into El Nino the next year. But sometimes we double dip La Ninas as well. But overall, it seems to move a lot. And over the last three years, it really hasn't. But that looks like it's changing. Models have been very consistent. And it doesn't matter what model you look at. If you look at the American model, the European model, every developed nation has their own climate model, and they all say roughly the same thing, is that we'll hold in the La Nina conditions into about January or February or so, and then get it into at least neutral conditions for the Northern hemisphere spring. And we don't have a whole lot of models that go out beyond about six months. So we don't have a whole lot of confidence in any ones that go beyond that anyway. But the trajectory is at least towards an El Nino next summer. Obviously, I'm not calling for that right now, but it's interesting to see models jump that from where they have been before. Going into last winter, a lot of them said we would get into neutral category by summer 2022. That didn't happen, so we'll just have to see. We have yet to see four straight line unions. So I'm pretty confident that we won't see a fourth one. But like I said, our record is pretty short. It's only 50 years. And so I wouldn't completely throw it out. If it happened, it would be a surprise, but it wouldn't be completely unforeseen. But that's not what I'm really expecting. I'm expecting us to at least get out of neutral territory with it. Now, what does that mean? Unfortunately, that means we don't have a huge climate driver driving our weather patterns here across actually most of the globe. The Pacific Ocean is huge. So when you have something major going on in the Pacific Ocean. It affects the whole world. When you don't, you get all these little things that kind of pop up here and there, and they're very hard to predict. So what we do at DTN is we look at kind of years where the El Nino, what we call is the ENSO, the El Nino Southern Oscillation, when that hasn't been in control. And we look at years that are similar like that and kind of guide us to to shape our forecast, what we might be seeing because um, going beyond the next six months, it gets a little difficult with models. They're not very good like at all at determining our weather patterns. And what they're showing for springtime is a lot of variability. When you don't have a big driver like that, you get a lot of variability. Seasons have been either very cold, very warm, dry, wet, everything in between for just about every region in the country. There's not a huge pattern that really shows up once we get into springtime. So we're going to need a lot more data. Going forward, we need, we're going to need our models to pick up on some of the features and really our forecasters to dive into all that and put it all together. But like I mentioned, we're starting off the season likely with poor soil moisture across most of the country. That's going to shape how we plant. It might be easier to get out and plant, but then you're planting into dry soils. And if you you don't get rain quickly, things go from good to bad pretty quickly. And there hasn't been a consistent theme that shows up. In the summertime, although I will mention that's with all the variability that does show up during summers under neutral conditions, one thing that seems consistent is at least decent rainfall across most of the country. There's pockets here and there that develop dryness. not That shouldn't be surprising. But for the most part, most of the Corn Belt does okay with precipitation. So as long as we get out of this La Nina, I'm a lot more optimistic about next season than what we have seen over the last couple.
0: You can read John's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag weather at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer with special thanks to John Baranek. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.